It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother hey welcome everyone to the latest edition of reliving the war my name is nims Azort, joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler this is the podcast where we do exactly what it says in the title we relive the war the monday night wars exclusively here on the gray wolf entertainment network we have straight into 1998 the attitude era is i'd say official at the moment because we're into the scratch logo and everything like that and Simon, first things first, we're, we've passed the WrestleMania high and it's the reign of Austin and it's officially begun. Yeah, this is about as 100% attitude error as you can get. Even the show opening, I believe this is the first time we've got the, the new attitude error signature at the top of the show as well um, with those sounds that I'm sure would trigger any wrestling fan from the time. <laughs> Um, no more worldwide leader in sports entertainment. None of that. It's all about the scratch logo and explosive sounds. Um, and then we go into what would become sort of a trademark of this era, 98 and 99. We thought they were dramatic in 96 and 97, the <laughs> intro videos. This ups it to the next level where they reference um, religion and, yeah. and, you know, Dante's Inferno. And we are comparing Steve Austin and Vince McMahon and Kane and the Undertaker's feuds to biblical wars. And I love it so much. With walls of text of, of <laughs> quotes, it is insane. And just going back to the signature, I don't know about you, son, but I'm pretty sure to anyone that's our vintage, it would take you back to waiting up on a Sunday night to watch superstars on channel 10. Just just the minute you hear that and see that everything is so triggering to all the feels of that era. And it's so fantastic. And one thing that I love too in that little intro, we're promised an inferno match and something that's catastrophic to happen to Stone Cold Steve Austin. I like that. A very specific teaser. And it makes you wonder, what could this be? Um, we'll get to that. But I thought that was an interesting sort of selling point for the show. Something catastrophic could be anything. Yeah, very, very cool stuff. We get welcomed by JR and King. And I got to say, straight off the top, JR and King are at their peak of powers here. They are, they have nailed it. The the chemistry together is fantastic. They have there is nothing. There's a couple of questionable stuff that Jerry Lawless says, but um they do not put a foot wrong this entire pay-per-view when it comes to their commentary. Yeah, they were great here. I thought um, JR especially, he's getting further into having more attitude himself. So he'll have a go at Jerry Lawler and they'll go back and forth even more now without Vince having to play, you know, grown up and adult and break them up. So this is where that chemistry, you know, gets going. And yeah, it's iconic for a reason. 
We also see shots of the crowd and we see some interesting signs here. Um, the cameraman focused on one that said, if you hear the glass, it's your ass for Steve Austin. But perfectly in frame right next to him is a guy who has a sign and, you know, it's very of its time. It hasn't aged well, but it says, Hogan sucks, Bischoff swallows. Yeah. And then I started to think, I reckon the cameraman put that in frame on purpose. <laughs> Pretty much. I remember there was a, there was one, there was uh there was a sign that I saw on a raw in like 1999 that basically just had Goldberg blows and that was it. And so it's very, it's it's very much off the time as you, as you mentioned there, but we'll get to our first match, which is the nation of domination, which is all of the nation minus Farouk versus Farouk Shamrock and Steve Blackman. And straight off the bat, did you notice that karma is very much transitioning into the Godfather? Yeah. I like that. At one point he was just like, I'm just going to start doing a different gimmick now. And it's great, but it's, because he's in the background and he's never been a focus of the nation, it's fine. You know, they would always tell you about Mark Henry being the strongest man and D'Lo sort of the henchman and The Rock is the rock and Farouk's the leader. Kama's just there. So I think he took it upon himself to just say, well, I need a thing too. Yeah, I'll wear a hat and a vest now and it's great. Did you happen to notice in this commentary that that um, JR mentions that D'Lo is an accountant? Yeah, JR would do this a lot. Like, I knew D'Lo was an accountant from Attitude Era commentary. Maybe this was <laughs> the first time. But yeah, JR would bring that up all the time. Like, it's fair enough when JR tells you that this man played college football or he was an ex-amateur wrestler. It's always weird that for D'Lo, this man's a certified public accountant, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's like, he's the one that does all the tax returns for the Nation of Domination. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you, actually, with the nation's theme music, this one's closer to the rock's music because that would become the evolution. But I don't remember this version because right at the start, there was a little vocal bit that said, you better know your role. And it's not one of the nation guys, just a voiceover. Yeah. How long yeah, did it, they use this for? I'm going to say it, it didn't last too long because yeah. then it transitioned to the rock theme and became, um, you know, just start off with, do you smell what the rock is cooking nation theme? And then a couple of sound bites of the rock with like, you know, the rock laying the smackdown, etc. Know your role and shut your mouth. And then that of course evolved completely to the rocks theme. And I guess everyone else used their own individual themes, but yeah, you're right. Cause I was just like, hmm, this is this this could be one of those um, rare variant ones because remember triple H even went through a whole bunch of themes after he left DX it was like my time and it was just tweaked almost every pay-per-view yeah. until it reached its final form. So I think this is one of those instances. On the topic of music, though, did you find it strange seeing Farouk come out to Shamrock's music, but when he's the main guy? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess Farouk doesn't have music yet and Ken Shamrock's music is awesome. But yeah, it was weird. Um, I, this was strange because... Farouk has been treated for a big deal for a couple of years at this point, but this feud with The Rock and Ken Shamrock has been so hot and so good for months. This doesn't last long, but putting the focus on Farouk, I think, doesn't stand up. Even looking back at it, like, honestly, we've seen a lot of these nation versus tag team, six-man, eight-man, mm. whatever. This is the worst one. Yep. <laughs> I, yep. This wasn't as good as any of the other ones we've seen. And I'm blaming Farouk. 
Yeah, Farouk peaked in that main event he had against The Undertaker for the WWF title. And that's it. Then it's just the Rocky show and they're off to the races. So quickly, before we get into the match, um, did you find it just a strange sight to see Blackman and Shamrock also doing like the black power salute with Farouk in yeah, the ring? It's so weird because like, <laughs> yeah, you can say, oh, no, that's just Farouk's taunt. But we know what that is. It really looks and- weird. The best part too is JR sort of like trying to explain it, just like, oh, a good show of support there for his teammates. Yep, show of support. That's good. They're very progressive guys. Um, Was this the first time we've seen the small IC title? Because it was the classic one at Mania 14. So this is the first time seeing the slim one on pay-per-view. Yeah, with the scratch logo in the middle. I I think so, actually, because this is the one when... Because when The Rock and Austin were doing their feud, they had it. They had the old school, big, yeah, and, chunky sort of. And they still of... did at Mania 14 with Shamrock and The Rock. So at mm. some point, The Rock just. I never liked that small oval title. Yeah, it, it was awful. And and if you've seen recent photos of Ahmed Johnson, uh, he apparently is a big fan of that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, Why does he have that? I... He won the good one. Why would you buy yeah, the I... replica of that? Look, in those pictures of Ahmed Johnson, that's the least of the uh, the questions <laughs> that can be asked. I can put it that way. I actually think it was probably done after Mania 14. Because remember, we got rid of the winged eagle. Uh, that was replaced by the big Attitude mm. Era belt that we all know and love. They must have done it in the same thing. Because I, I can only remember Austin getting his new belt. Remember, because he throws down the winged eagle, grabs yeah. the other one, and then sort of walks out. But I can't remember how The Rock was given the new IC belt. Yeah. It's interesting that they never changed the tag titles because they yeah. looked awesome. Yeah. In fact, they what I found always weird was that when SmackDown got its own tag team titles, they essentially got a blue version yeah. of that belt. And then rather than keep that belt on Raw, they swapped it over to the other world tag team titles, which yeah. was just... Which is strange. I always get visions of Lance Storm and William Regal holding those belts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, to be fair, like, I would take those belts over the big pennies that they have now. Yeah, all the silver Let, dollars on SmackDown. Yeah, we're clearly talking about belts for a reason because this match wasn't good. <laughs> There's nothing to talk about. Yeah, the, the, we're talking. If we're gonna, we'll link it back to the match though. There's a bit where Farouk takes off his belt and and whips Delo, quote unquote, like a government mule. That's <laughs> if you're gonna whip someone, whip them like a government mule. Um, geez, Jr. would say that a lot. I don't know how many times we've heard him say it so far, but mm. there you go. I've, I've written down here. Um, this is too much of Steve Blackman. <laughs> maybe that's what it was there are two points he tags in and does the exact same sequence of moves like i don't think he was ready for this kind of match um no, they no, even I, I... lose the crowd at one point it's the opening match and the crowd is just not into it and not that there aren't big stars in it but just the match is a yeah a mess it- it's just uh, the only time, and I've written this down, the, the time where the crowd sort of gets back into it and there is a bit of heat is when The Rock and Farouk finally face off towards yeah. the end. And then it just ends, though. Farouk hits a Dominator and almost kills The Rock. That was a very yeah. scary move. Um, <laughs> almost drops him on his head, but he gets the pin on The Rock, which, you know, yeah. Ken Shamrock didn't even get to do. Yeah, I've, I've just written down here, Farouk, Shamrock and Blackman win. That's about it. And The Dominator, hell of a move. <laughs> Yeah. 
that's the extent of my notes for that one as we move on to the next little segment which is michael cole with a post-match interview this was something that they did frequently but then just stopped because i guess i don't know was it just it because i think it's great i love that they used to do the post-match interviews but then they just randomly stopped it yeah and they would just cut to you know a commercial for shop zone Mm. yeah um, we get to a little segment where Austin's music hit and then he comes out. Now, Stone Cold is nuclear over here. He is that much fan support and he berates the timekeeper, Mark Yeaton. Is that his name? Yeah. And and he just says, just warns him not to ring the bell. And I'd, I've never seen that timekeeper in my life or subsequently since this pay-per-view. Oh, no. Mark Eden was there for decades. Um, really? Yeah. He was the guy who would throw Austin the beers, like, through oh. all that time. He was the one with the great throw. So, um, yeah, no, he was there for a while. I guess they would never really put focus on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so Austin's yelling at him because he thinks there's a conspiracy and that, McMahon's going to screw him. So he basically tells him, if you know, if you don't do the right thing, I'll kick your ass. It's interesting for someone in the main event to come out in front of the crowd early and do a promo um, instead of saving him for it. But, you know, it was the Attitude Era. They were trying different things. And I think it was a good idea because it woke the crowd back up. Very much. Part of me wonders if it was that era too, where it's like, because their roster is so paper thin. I mean, We've literally just seen probably one of the worst opening matches. And by no means is it like like you hate watching that match. It's just it was just there. Mm. Like it's there. Um yeah, he so he wants a timekeeper not to ring the bell. And we get to the we get to our next little recap, which is um the Owen versus Triple H feud. And it leads to because after the shenanigans at Mania between the between the them and China. China is now going to be in a shark cage hoisted above the ring. Yep. This is some old school wrestling. They're in North Carolina. It just feels right. Let's put the manager in a shark cage. <laughs> it's kind of fun. And Slaughter comes out with a chain to lock China in the cage and they start brawling outside. And I couldn't remember this match, but at the start of it, I thought, oh, this could be, you know, pretty entertaining. Um, their match at Mania 14 was good. But when they get into the ring, the crowd just gets really quiet again. And I don't know, was the crowd waiting for something to happen with China? But yeah, it was kind of awkward for parts of it. Yeah. The the thing that I, I loved about two things that straight off the top, I love how JR always calls Triple H Helmsley. Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's 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 still one of my favorite tropes. Also, Triple H still is in that identity crisis mode where he doesn't quite know what what his gimmick is because. I don't know what he was wearing in his entrance, but it was very Hunter Hearst Helmsley on, on like to the max. Yeah, he started like, the, the giant robe. <laughs> he and, drops uh, it because DX turned face probably in a few weeks and uh, that's it. But yeah, this is the last bit of Hunter Hearst Helmsley, I think. Mm. Uh, one thing that I did as a complete side note, and as we went on our little belt rant in the previous match, I'm going to go on another one. Did Owen ever, in the rest of his WWF run, wear pink and black again? Because you've got... And all I can think Ooh. of back to is his WWF attitude for attires, which is the, the tights that he's wearing now, um, the, the weird, you know, danger outfit that he had, the one that's had, like, a big O and an H on the side, and pink and black, the classic ones. 
I think that's it. Yeah, I think from here it's the danger and the OH with Jeff yeah. Jarrett later. Um, yeah. yeah, he was trying to shed the um, the image of being a heart, which I think is a good idea and moving him to his own thing. Um, but yeah, he kind of never gets his own run again, though, because he joins the nation, then teams up with Jeff Jarrett. Oh, and I guess yeah. he would wear the blue blazer outfit. That's true. That's true. Um, like I said, this this is a fairly ho hum sort of match. The, the line that stood out for me was Jr. going with uh, talking about the camera that's inside the cage, calling it Cage Cam, another WWF innovation. Yeah, very um, innovative. There's some there's some little there's some little uh, shenanigans where China pulls a file out of her boots but then drops it, and. Yeah, did she a, drop a, it on purpose or was that an accident? I couldn't tell. I couldn't quite tell either. And, and to be fair, like I couldn't see like, well, what what was the what was the the end goal if she was managing to file out of the, the cage? Like yeah. it was still up in the air, like she's not gonna jump down. I used to and there's a bit too where it cuts to Farouk and the rock um on the superstar line. Did it? I must have blinked that, and missed it. Yeah. Um so it, it just says, or maybe they mentioned that uh, over the over thing, but yeah, that's right. They mentioned it, I think, that uh, you can, uh, even JR's bored during this match. <laughs> yeah, nothing in this match is like going or interesting. And they keep cutting to China and then she starts bending the bars and she eventually gets the bars open and she even climbs to the outside of the cage, which is a very impressive visual, but the crowd could still care less. She's hmm. dangling from the cage, which is, I don't know how many meters up, but not enough to just drop down. So she's literally hanging and the crowd still doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a bit where the, the cage lowers a tad and then it cuts back to Road Dog just walking away from like a control desk. Yeah. So we assume he lowered the cage. Yeah. Um, the match then has Owen doing a pedigree. X Park runs out, smacks him with the fire extinguisher, and then. Triple H gets the win. So clearly this is to it, it, it's sort of like that's it. The match is done and dusted. Again, it's inoffensive. It's not a bad, it's it's not a bad match. Like you're not thinking, oh, I can't believe I sat through this, but you're just sort of thinking, like, okay, <laughs> like you know, there's not nothing to note of it. No, really, really weird start to this pay-per-view. Uh, we've been complimentary to the WWE shows for months now. This was not a good start. I was really iffy because I thought, what Surely this is better than this. Yeah. And um, then Owen does a post-match uh, little interview thingy with Michael Cole afterwards. He says, and this is his sort of famous line where he quotes the, he says, it's BS and enough is enough. And it's time for a change, which would then become his catchphrase onwards. So mm -hmm. uh, we then get told there is 21,427 fans in attendance. And then Jim Cornette comes out and cuts a promo to introduce Quote, unquote, every mother's nightmare and every schoolgirl's dream. Yeah. I love that he said that. And then Bob Holly walks out. That's so yeah. funny. <laughs> out of all people. Bob Holly and Bart Gunn. Yeah. It is Audacious the new Bob and Bombastic Bart? Or do I have that the other way around? You have got that spot on Bombastic. Actually, no. Bombastic Bob and Bodacious Bart. Uh, and all I can say is, JR is doing his absolute best to sell this match. <laughs> yeah, I know. Trying to tell us weird? that these guys are a big deal. Did you find it weird that um the Rock and Roll Express came out to the Rockers music? 
I thought that was so weird because, you know, back in the 80s, the Rockers were kind of a knockoff of the Rock and Roll Express. They got to WWE, became big stars because of the WWE machine. They had their iconic entrance music. And then the Rock and Roll Express are back here as old men in the WWE. And they've just given them the Rockers music because (laughs) they don't know what other song to give them. They can't use (laughs) licensed music. Really weird to see. Um, JR, as I said, is he's doing his best, and but his trivia and history spot on. It is oh. so good in this match. Yep. But then it d- delves into panties chat by the King and JR. Oh, of course, because they're promoing the uh, upcoming evening gown match. So why would you talk about this match? <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's in it's terms just... of wrestling, it's definitely not a bad match. Like, they're doing good wrestling moves, but it's hard to care. And especially even in the context of just this feud, the Rock and Roll Express were bad guys a couple of months ago because they were part of Jim Cornette's evil NWA. NWA, Like, what's going on? Why would we cheer for them now? I know they're in North Carolina, so that crowd might be more partial to it. But who's going to care about this? Also, we've mentioned it before, but the Rock and Roll Express are only 40 and 42 here. So Mm. in modern times, they would still be main eventing shows. But at this point, they look and just feel old. It's funny you mention that because in modern times, i.e. 2022, they still are wrestling. (laughs) Well, that too. I think they took on FTR as well uh, a couple of months back. Well, respect uh, to them. Put it this way. When Tim White and Jim Cornette are the most over things in this match, it kind of says everything you need to know about that but um oh, the bit that the, i love that that is the absolute highlight so cornet gets up on the apron and does his usual shtick he's yelling at the ref he gets in the ring and starts doing some shadow boxing and instead of tim white just saying get out of the ring tim white untucks his shirt and they square off for a boxing match and the crowd literally it's the pop of the night so far it is huge, and uh, so yeah, the New Midnight Express they get the uh, they get the win, and at the very end, this is one of those ones you know where Jr. used to during the Attitude Era when he knows something bad he used to be like it's bowling shoe ugly or da 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 da. In this one, he goes, "That was a piece of nostalgia, and I hope you enjoyed that." Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I I wrote down this was the match of the night so far, and that's faint praise to say the least, which yeah. it really was. It was at least interesting, is the yeah. word. And despite the fact you could visibly see people leaving their seats, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was it was actually probably the most interesting of all three matches we've seen so far. As we get to our next one, Michael Hayes is with Luna and Goldust. And so Goldust is um, known as the artist formerly known as Goldust. Now, you'd mm-hmm. be, you're one of the best people to talk to about this. But if I recall correctly, the whole formerly known as Prince was done in 1996, wasn't it? Oh, let me just quickly look that up. But that checks out for wrestling being outdated by a couple of years when it comes to pop culture, as we've mentioned. You know, The Crow came out in 93 or whatever and Sting became The Crow in, you know, 96. Um, Yeah, I I suppose so. But yeah, it is interesting that that's what they um, decided to to copy because that was a punchline in everything. Anytime someone's formally known as. Yeah. Because I remember, I, I, look, my timeline could be off, but I can remember still being in primary school oh, when, like, Bet Your Bike Only Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, if anything, it follows the, the Crow timeline perfectly then. 
Yeah. That's so good. Um, so here we go. Um, what I love too, there's there's a line by JR that says, uh, who is it that comes out? When when Sable comes out, I think he says something like, I'm a very happily married man. Thank you very much. Yeah. And um, then he goes, it's a heck of an ovation. You'd think that Ric Flair just came out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And well, I think that that's a little um, kind of an inside um, reference because at the time there were rumors that Ric Flair was going to jump to the WWE here. You know, it would fit the timeline because he was yeah. still in his little lawsuit with um with um WCW. Yeah, and they in were fact, in I... they were in North Carolina. And I think the story goes that Ric Flair was literally outside the building in his car. Wow. And it was That's if a... they could sort it out, he might show up. But yeah, there were a few references to him throughout the show. Certainly was. Now, King is peak dirty old man in this match, and the crowd boos when Luna gets one of her sleeves removed, which I thought was quite a nice touch. And then our old mate, Mark Merrow, comes in. And, yeah, it's just shenanigans. Yeah, there isn't much to call here. The only thing I thought of, because this wasn't a bra and panties match, because this was before they thought of that. It was an evening Mm. gown match. But then you think about it, because I was thinking, like, in bra and panties matches, they eventually figured out, okay, the women always wear a bottom and a top. That way there's two halves to the match. Here in an evening gown match, they had, you know, like an evening gown, but they were obviously gimmicked dresses because Mm. (laughs) I've never ripped someone's dress off. But I'd imagine if you were going to, if it was one long dress, how on earth did Luna rip just the bottom half of Sable first before the top? And yeah, like you said, the sleeve of Luna. Like, obviously, they were gimmick dresses. (laughs) But I just thought that was, yeah, really funny. Um, There's really not much else to say about this. Um, They they end up, Luna ends up under the ring alongside Sable. And we're led to believe that Sable completely strips Luna under the ring. (laughs) Because then Goldust, uh, the artist formerly known as Goldust, has to you know, shade her dignity with his gold dust probe. Yeah, because and, because Sable comes back out with Luna's bra and panties mm. in her hand. Again, JR in fine form because he just says, not, my, not much else to say, really. Yeah. To be fair, <laughs> this got a crazy reaction from the crowd, as you would imagine it would. It's Sable and Luna in their underwear. Another strange note that I guess as a kid, why would I be paying attention to this? But Sable was wearing like pantyhose under her yeah, outfit. Her and I thought, outfit, oh, yeah. that's interesting. So she must have said, hey, if I'm doing this, like I'm not mm. just wearing my underwear. So it's, that well, must it's a, a weird compromise. one. Yeah. Uh, it's, then also, again, it's 1998 and they're in an evening gown match. So just before they go to the replays of like Sable getting her clothes ripped off, JR says, and now get your VCR ready. He's like, now's That's when you're right. going to want to hit the pause and play and rewind and pause. And it was like, yeah, he, he knows he, what he's, this is. He's in such good form in this entire paper. Yeah. But uh, we, get to, we get to our next little segment, which is a Vince McMahon promo. He comes out and says, something catastrophic will be happening. This is a fantastic heel promo, I should pull point out too because he even works in a callback the old brett screwed brett reference mm. and jr who's not normally a pop culture aficionado mentions that there's more speculation about what 
um, Vince McMahon means than the Seinfeld finale. <laughs> I saw that. It was interesting. <laughs> A sign of the times there. Um, Vince McMahon also, maybe the first time on TV, acknowledges that he was actually born in North Carolina and mm. he's playing it for sympathy, but the crowd boos because they hate him so much. I kind of forget too, um, because we've seen so much of Mr. McMahon and like the version he became, the early stages of Mr. McMahon is still like a bad guy in denial. Like he's still t- trying to bullshit the crowd and yeah. I am very professional and I am on the up and up. It was more a shady businessman as opposed to the full-blown cartoon character we would get a few years later and for the rest of his run. Yeah, the, the later Miss McMahon that we know and love is kind of like a like a James Bond supervillain. <laughs> yeah, Whereas yeah. this one, this one is more like, you know, like, hey, look, in the interest of, of in yes. the interest of fairness, kind of kind of yeah. thing. But um not yeah, it, bulging it's, it's, eyes and funny facial expression. None of that yet. <laughs> Soon, but not yet. Um, Sable's on the superstar line with Kevin Kelly. Uh, that's just a little tidbit there. And and we get to the New Age Outlaws versus LOD 2000. Now, I don't know about you, but Road Dog's got a pretty edgy promo here. And 1998 is very, very innuendo-filled. Yeah. And that, that became Road Dog's thing, though. As a kid, you didn't really know what he was talking about. Watching it back as an adult, it definitely hits more. He's got the cadence and the rhythm down at this point, though. Like, Road Dog is about to become one of the best talkers of the Attitude Era once the crowd gets going with it. I thought this didn't age well, though, because Road Dog comes out first, and then he says, oh, me and Billy Gunn have a special guest. And I only say it didn't age well because I don't know who this person was meant to be. It felt very exactly. location-specific. It was Dean Smith, who I take it yep. as a basketball coach of their college team, but yeah. Or someone like that, because it, it just comes out in like a University of North Carolina blow up doll sort of thing. And, and it, yeah, it, it, to anyone that's not in that arena, it's very much a okay. Mm. Uh, um, funny, funny enough, though, this is another one talking about JR's pop culture reference and a sign of the times. So when LOD 2000 comes out, Sonny's with them as well. And boy, hasn't Sonny been shifted to the back of the card very quickly uh, compared to the earlier episodes that we've done here. But I love how JR calls Sunny the answer to the Spice Girls in her Xena Warrior thing. <laughs> I love that. That When he said that, I thought, did someone give him a script there? Just mixing <laughs> pop culture references. Um, I thought I thought LOD is still so over. Yeah. And this match is mainly the Road Warriors. Yeah. You know what? They got a huge pop, even with their new weird mix of their music, which I don't like. They had a better version at Mania 14. This one mm-hmm. is less like the original. and um, But anyway, honestly, this match started pretty fun. It's a bit of a brawl and LOD doing, you know, LOD type things. Mm. JR, though, at one point, keeps calling their finishing move the devastation device. Yeah, of I know that too. Device. Was that just a JR thing where he gets things wrong or were they actually trying to change the name here? I think they were trying to change the name because like, because of the whole LOD 2000. Because let's face it, they still had the same sort of look, but they were trying to future it. It looked like someone had watched a Road Warriors, like they've looked at their their attire and then watched Tron 
to get yeah. inspiration about what it's meant to look like. And they've picked up like words and stuff like that. It's like devastation. Devastation yeah. sounds futuristic. Do that. Yeah, it's more futuristic than doomsday. And also, <laughs> like, I like that the, the outfit changes. Well, you don't wear pants anymore. You wear shorts. Mm. <laughs> That's 2000. That's- but yeah. <laughs> One, uh, King it's- has a great, great bit on commentary, though, here. He's talking about country music and how it's so stupid. And he says, country music is so dumb. He's like, did you know there's a song called Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalposts of Life? And I thought he was joking. So I Googled it. It is a real song. Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalposts of Life by Bobby Bear. Oh, my God. Jeez Louise. And I, and just when I thought Luke Bryan's Rain, Make, Rain Makes Corn song was... Uh, <laughs> Bad enough. If you ever go, if you ever go down the rabbit hole of country music, it's a hell of a journey. I'll put it that way. That shocked um, me too, though, because I would have assumed Jerry Lawler likes country music because he was making fun of JR for liking it. Anyway, well, he's well. Where is he? Memphis, like you know, home of the king. Like I guess true. Maybe he likes a- rock and roll specifically and blues and not country. Yeah, you'd be snooty because essentially Memphis is like the music snobbery capital, wouldn't it be? I guess, like, or, or they see themselves as cooler. Like, yeah, to, yeah. to Jerry Lawler, he listens to cool music, whereas, you know, JR's from Oklahoma and they listen to hick music. Yeah, Oklahoma is very much like, you know, it's like your mainstream sort of stuff, whereas it's more your splendor crowd in Memphis. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, now, here's the, this is um, an interesting finish because, so what happens is Hawk gets a German suplex for the three count, but he's, both his shoulders are on the mat as is road dogs they count the pin they even play the music off the road warriors give them the tag belts and go through the entire rigmarole before the match is then reversed um and it's not actually it's not reversed it's it's just sort of said no 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 no, i I didn't mean that i meant road dog one yeah i thought that was um an interesting finish because when they did it i thought oh what's the twist here you know is it a dq because there was a belt shot leading up to it and you know, the titles don't change hands. And then it was, no, no, just the New Age Outlaws um, Got the won pin. the match. Yeah. But it wasn't, when they showed the replay, it wasn't one of those ones where on three, Road Dog lifts his shoulder. It was the ref was only looking at Hawk's shoulders. And you know, was- JR rightly pointed out, like I understand the lo- logic, but he was saying that, you know, if Hawk was the one executing the maneuver, why would the ref be watching his shoulders, not the guy who got hmm. the move done to them anyway? Oh, but the thing that was cool about this entire thing is JR treats the what's going on in front of him like it is a, an athletic contest. Like you yeah. have those same sort of things that soccer fans would on contentious calls. So I thought that was really, really good. I also loved it how much JR loses his mind when the ref gets the doomsday device. Oh man, they recovered though, because the crowd was really into this match. They popped for the finish because they thought they got new champs. And then they were disappointed. You could say devastated when LOD mm. didn't get the win, but then LOD hit the doomsday devastation device on the referee and absolutely murder him to another massive pop. So the show is picking <laughs> up steam just in strange ways. Yeah, Jack Doan actually gets stretched out too. But um, I, I, I've i made a note of this. The banter at the end of this match with J.R. and King going through what happened is fantastic. Mm. Um, and again, that's, of- this is what we get where they can really have a go at each other and, you know, contest, you know, oh, whose fault was it? Was the referee and this and that? Yeah, 
it's good. Speaking of uh, the other end of the pool from good, uh, Jeff Jarrett comes out with Sawyer Lee to do a concert. And I've just put for reasons. Um, so as I was watching this, my partner, Steph, uh, sort of was looked up from the laptop and just sort of said, and I quote, what is the purpose of this? <laughs> I was trying to figure that out too, because Jeff Jarrett just, they tried him out as like serious wrestler badass for a little bit. It felt for a few months and he had like different music and he wasn't a cowboy anymore, but they've given up on that. They're like, mm, let's just make him a cowboy again. Yeah. And a famous country singer. He comes it was out- almost, yeah, it was almost that, that giving you were talking about. He was almost like billed as like an MMA sort of like real badass tough guy kind of thing. Yeah. Like I'm a real wrestler. And he did that promo yeah. where he's like, everything in the WWE is crap and I'm going to save it. Um, <laughs> it didn't work. So he's out here with Sawyer Brown, who were a famous country band from what I could find out. Anyway, him and the lead singer of this band both mime one of their songs. And I just kept thinking, if you're this band, why would you agree to this? It makes you look like a dumbass, you mm. know? And that lead singer was doing some terrible dance moves. It was like Michael Stipe or, you know, um, it just wasn't good. <laughs> it was just the most bizarre thing because it was just there for reasons. Now, Jeff Jarrett finishes up by saying, ain't he, ain't he great as he always does? And then Steve Blackman comes out and attacks and... Is this the first guitar shot that we see? Because Tennessee Lee takes out Blackman with um with the the guitar. Oh, this probably is of the Jeff Jarrett era, maybe. Hmm. But he just absolutely destroys Blackman with. It seemed like not a not one of the gimmick guitars with baby powder in it. He just yeah shatters it on his head. This looks completely. It, it's it looks like a complete shoot. What I enjoyed too, like as they sort of wind up the segment, JR goes, "The song was surprisingly excellent." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we then get to our next match, which is an inferno match for the first time ever. Um, a very very cool video package. We mentioned this at the start. They get really deep into it. And all I can say is <laughs> the bit where Kane and Paul Bearer are desecrating a, the grave of the Undertaker's parents, you forget how absurd things got in 1998 WWF. Oh, I think it gets even crazier. But yeah, one of the craziest things ever, if you were to explain that in this feud, they dig up the parents and the Undertaker tombstones Kane through the coffin and just all of this wild stuff. It could only happen here. Um, and it leads to an Inferno match, which I got to say, I remember hmm. this match not being interesting because for some reason I just thought, oh, they can't do anything because of the fire. This was way better than I remembered it to be. I, I think I actually know what you're, what you're thinking of. Because remember they had an Inferno match on Raw? Oh, uh, okay. There- Another one. Wasn't there a well? Yeah, you're right. Just... Actually, you're right because that's where the Undertaker burns Stephanie McMahon's teddy bear in front of uh, Vince McMahon. Yeah, and that one because obviously it's on on TV. They're clearly like, no, mate, we ain't <laughs> We're not doing anything. <laughs> we ain't doing anything. That's the crappy one. Uh, okay. No, this was really entertaining, and again, another great chapter in this insane story. Mm. And, and the thing is, too, because there's only there's been so. I think if there's only been the two Inferno matches, because I can't think of any other one, my memories were much like yours. I'm just like, I don't remember all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was so much more <laughs> than I remembered. 
or I was expecting other spots where I'm like, hang on, wasn't there a bit where they, where they like, because you all remember the flame shooting up? Yeah. It's all the same there. But yeah, it's a very impressive visual. And I tell you, when Taker does the old school move, those flames, whoever's in charge of putting those flames to like however high they went, probably should have waited maybe an extra beat before he did it. I think that's what made it awesome because so many of these shots are still used for Kane and Undertaker video packages for a reason because it just looks insane. Why would any of this be happening? But yeah, Undertaker hits old school within the first couple of minutes. And anytime they hit a big move, the flames shoot up and it just yeah. looks cinematic and it's a real spectacle. They do a superplex, which again, really, there's still risk there because if they slip, there is literally oh. fire under them. And yeah, how hot would it be? How hard would it be to breathe? It's all very impressive. It's very, very cool. And you can tell, and you can see that clearly everyone's trying to up the ante during this era of wrestling. Um, what I did find amazing, the commentary is great. Like there's a bit where um, the Undertaker is getting uh, battered, by, <laughs> battered by Kane, which is what JR says. And then King follows it up with battered and fried. Yeah, <laughs> they are on fire here. And King's talking about how his chest hair is being singed by the flames and, you know, his pants are melting. It's just really good. There's other lines where it's like where he's going to JR. And this is, I love this d- dynamic of their early relationship where he almost gets JR to crack half the time. And it's just like, how do you like your Undertaker? I prefer mine extra crispy. <laughs> <and things like that. laughs> but yeah, it's a very, very impressive visual. That, that bit too, where, uh, where you talk about, yes, there's so many highlights packages. There, like when, when Taker leaps over the top rope and stuff like that. Very, very cool. But there's an entire segment of the match that I completely forgot and was almost watching it in real time where they go up to the stage where the band was and Taker puts a drum through Paul Bearer's head. Yeah, he smashes the bass drum over Paul Bearer's head and it is awesome and the crowd is going (laughs) wild because the most iconic shot, you mentioned it. So somehow Kane gets out of the ring. And he's trying to run away. And then Paul Barrett takes over the flames and he puts them high so Taker can't escape. And then Vader runs out to bring Kane back to the ringside area. And Mm. that's where we see it. The shot of the Undertaker diving over the flames, which has got to be top five camera shots in all of pro wrestling history. Like what an amazing visual. And what a dive too. Even when when Taker hits it with no flames, it's impressive. But with the fire, it's just so nuts that you would try that um but anyway yeah then there's the brawl with paul bearer and then they come back to ringside and then i thought oh okay probably just ends here but then there's a couple of chair shots undertaker absolutely wallops kane with two chair shots he hits him so hard especially with the first one this is it's not quite rock to ken shamrock levels but it's still like oh geez yeah it it it, it's just so And JR with a great call when Taker hits Paul Bearer with the drum. JR's just so enthusiastic. And it's like, who is he yelling at? Like, who's his anger towards? And he's like, yeah, what song is that? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, he's just so into it all. He loves it. It's it's absolutely crazy. But um, is this also one of the first times? So Taker gets, gets the win because he sets Kane on fire. Rather awkward little bit, but you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna critique a man trying to set himself on fire here because it 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 is a slow process, but it went 
when it finally happens, it works out a treat. Yeah, he kind of uh, kicks Kane into the flame on the outside and Kane's arm is on fire. And a respect to Glenn Jacobs, because how many people would say, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Like, you know. It's it's crazy that. And um, yeah, so then Taker heads back ringside, um, gets back into the ring and does the cool, f- the the of the iconic pose with the flames. So good. It's very, very cool. And, and I love it too, because... Um, JR uses that very famous line of he survived through hellfire and brimstone. Yeah, it's too good. Um, this is pretty much perfect between the commentary selling it, the match itself, the amazing video package, the insane story, and how much the crowd is into it. Yeah, it is the best part of the show. Mm. Um, we then get to a video package of Austin versus McMahon. This is this brought back so much nostalgia, it wasn't funny. Like the you've you, the WWF was just on point with their storytelling between Austin and McMahon. And you really see them nail all the beats so perfectly, like the corporate Austin makeover where he comes out in the suit. It's just so well done. Dude loves heel turn. Also brilliant. And the, the way that they managed to steer into the skid of, you know, all the backlash of Vince screwing Brett. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they, they openly like, it's part of the story now. Like it's yep. If Vince McMahon is willing to screw the champ out of winning a title if he wants to. Yep. It's so good. Great video recapping, you know, the, the real beginning of Austin and McMahon, even though he had stunned him already, there was, you know, breaking up the fight between Tyson and Austin. This is where it really gets going because there's no more DX. There's no Tyson. It's Austin McMahon. And I don't want, you know, we don't want to always say, oh, how good was everything back then? But when, if anyone tries to say, oh, wrestling's better now or the Attitude Era was overrated, I give you this. In this single video package, we see the Austin corporate makeover and we saw McMahon and Austin in the ring with Vince with one arm tied behind his back. Those mm-hmm. two things happened within, uh, within pay-per-views, within WrestleMania 14 and Unforgiven, those two iconic segments. When was the last time there was a fortnight or a month where two iconic segments happened that close to each other? These things literally happened every week and were even like they didn't show at all because they didn't have time. But DX forming for the first time and beating up Mick Foley and Terry Funk is what leads to this dude love heel turn. Like Mm -hmm. all of this happened within four weeks or whatever was between Mania and Unforgiven. The, and then the, you, the you, run they yeah. were on just week to week is insane. They also beat WCW for the first time there with Austin McMahon. So, and yeah. not only that too, that is that's just the tip of the iceberg because yeah. then you've got the the Nation and Ken Shamrock sort of feud along with the Farouk fallout where you get the Rock kicking Farouk out of the Nation. Another iconic moment there. Like, you're right. There is just so much stuff that is happening. You know, DX introduction promo. Like, these all happened within a week of each other. (laughs) And it's sort of breadcrumbs up to uh, Unforgiven. Like, everything is like, builds on next week. And then that builds on to next week. And then it finally leads to the pay-per-view. So, yeah, definitely. Like, anyone that, that still thinks, oh, well, what about all those hardcore Holly versus Al Snow matches? Like, no, come on. If That's real revisionist history to sort of say that the stories in the Attitude Era weren't that good. Every single week you had one iconic thing at least happening on an episode. And it's not just, oh, it's because you're watching video packages back. No, 
one thing happened each week that you would still remember, you know, years later. Anyway, and, good stuff. Good video. And, yeah. And it was, it was, it, it just shows how chaotic the, like, I know it's, and AEW falls into it. I reckon all wrestling falls into it this, in this era where, because everyone's so comfortable, but that, back then it was literally chaotic every single thing, uh, week to week to week. But, um, mm. um, and that goes for WCW as well. Yeah. Like, what, there was one, one bit in this video I couldn't remember though, and it cracked me up. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it. But because they're playing into the whole conspiracy idea and Vince McMahon is saying, no, no, we're not trying to screw Austin and Austin thinks they are. One point of the commentary, JR must have said, Austin's going to win at Unforgiven. There's a shot of Vince McMahon making JR film an apology video that they would have had on Raw. And JR's like, I apologize for my conduct and what I said. And then it pans to McMahon, you know, over him. And JR's like, was that okay? And he's like, yeah, you know, you do what I say. Like, that's so funny. It's so good, that bit. Yeah. Where do you apologize for even suggesting that the owner <laughs> yeah, would yeah. dare to screw the champion? It's so cool. Because it's so, it's so like, it's sincere. Then the camera work is so great where it just pans back, just like, that all right for you? <laughs> and what's funny too, these seeds have been planted for so long. I think we almost forget that, you know, these things, we don't know what's really happening behind the scenes. But this kind of plays into what we think about WWE behind the scenes. Hmm. Oh, Vince McMahon's making them say all these things that they don't really <laughs> agree with, you know? Yeah, they really sort of dive into that narrative, which is pretty, pretty awesome. But we get to our main event, and I love how disappointed uh, JR is in Dude Love for selling out and his actions recently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the start of Dude Love being a corporate sellout. It would lead to mankind wearing a suit which is Mm -hmm. what we would remember him most wearing you know the shirt and the tie this is all good you kind of forget how long term this even his part of the story is not just austin's yeah i I might be confusing my timelines but i can remember dude love for a bit wore a suit he he wears a suit um on raw at least like raw yeah in the lead up to over the edge i i think probably in the lead up to the next one, but then Vince McMahon wants to give him a real makeover mm. and he gives him a suit, especially when we get closer to a uh, survivor series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, what I enjoyed too, like JR's really like, he gets a cheeky dig at Eric Bischoff too, by saying, you know, and they said a guy in just black trunked could never draw money or something like that. Yeah. He, he then even says that both of these men, you know, didn't fulfill their potential in other promotions or something along those lines, taking a shot uh, at WCW because look at who's main eventing this pay-per-view. Very much so. And this is an insane match. It is fantastic. And I love too how JR brings up um, Mick Foley's, like he treats Mick Foley like, you know, Mick Foley is the wrestler Dude Love is the persona that he can dial into. It's so it's so good storytelling. And I love how he mentions his history as Cactus Jack, mentions Mankind and refers to the three faces of Foley. Because yep. if anything, too, it also adds a level to Mick Foley that a lot of people that sort of feeds into this legend that, that we love of him now. And I reckon that this commentary from JR really is the thing that rammed it home back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. He's the one who kind of, you know, drilled it into us week after week that this is Mick Foley and he's Cactus Jack and, you know, he's been around the world. It's really good and it plays into it here. Um, This is kind of 
I, I think I mentioned it in the last episode that this match, though, is sort of where the blueprint is formed of the Attitude Era style main event match. Mm-hmm. This is it. It's awesome. There's shenanigans. It's action packed. They do the Austin special and brawl all the way to the entrance. And, you know, yep. they fight on the stage too. And Mick Foley gets thrown off the stage. The crowd onto goes concrete. nuts. Mm. Onto concrete, as JR told us, and that he's broken in half. And then he just starts yelling again. I love when JR is just angry at just <laughs> a non-specific person. He's just yelling. <laughs> and he's like, tell me he broke his fall. He's like, I don't think so. And, you know, yeah. he's like, yeah. <laughs> It's like he's answering Reddit comments. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is all pent up replies that JR wanted to send out to the world and he finally could. Um, and then another cool thing too is Vince McMahon comes out with the Stooges. I forget it's only when you see Pat Patterson, well, when you saw Pat Patterson in recent times and Gerald Briscoe that you realize, you know, how much they've aged. And back in the day, they weren't actually looking that old, but we were taught you were treated and conditioned so much to be like look how old these dudes are yeah look at these old grandpas and yeah they probably weren't as old as we thought um but this was a good little callback too because they walked out with him and they put a chair kind of like opposite the hard camera or whatever it was the same spot vince sat during the screw job so it was planting the seeds like ooh, what are they up to here what was pretty cool too is like they really like dive into that rabbit hole because Vince gets so involved. He tells the timekeeper to ring the bell during the submission um, by when Dude Love puts Austin in a submission move and the timekeeper just doesn't make eye contact, which is what we're led to believe is what saved Austin. Yeah, yeah. And, and then they even show a replay and JR and King break it down like, you know, like I guess like the JFK conspiracy videos and they're like, <laughs> did he look over? Did he nod? Did he wink? Yeah, it's it's really good. It's so much is happening in this match between the match and the story, and it's perfect. This is kind of a, a tricky thing to pull off, but in this era, this was what they were doing. There's even another yep. great bit of commentary, like JR and King are just killing it on the shows, we've said. But Jerry Lawler starts sucking up to Vince, and he's like, Come on, Vince, you know, like get a better look, you know, don't, <laughs> you know, look at that redneck. And then JR starts, starts mocking Jerry Lawler, and he does his voice. And he's like, get a better look, Vince. Give me a race, Vince. I love you, Vince. So good. Um, now, Dude Love takes out the ref. There's a stunner into reversal into a mandible claw. It's such a cool little sequence. And then I've gotten written here, it's not a good time to be a skull in 1998 because there is a hell of a chair shot onto Vince McMahon by Austin. And it is the rate in which these guys are swinging chairs at heads is ridiculous. Yeah, and we know why they don't do it anymore. But at the point when the ref is knocked out, um, Vince McMahon is trying to help dude love up. And it's great because it wasn't like, oh my God, Austin just hit Vince in the head, which he did. But they were trying to create the doubt that did he swing for dude love or did he swing for Vince McMahon? And that becomes Mm. the story moving forward. But he didn't just hit him. He destroyed him. He hit him square in the forehead. Um, And that leads to the end of the match. The crowd is going absolutely crazy. Uh, Austin gets dude love back in the ring, hits him with the stunner and the referee is still down at this point. Austin just counts his own pinfall. And then Mm -hmm. the, then the referee doesn't ring the bell, but someone plays Austin's music. Yeah. And that's kind of the end of the match. 
it's the end of the paper. Now, JR is condoning this behavior all throughout the entire, like, because, like, and that's the best part about it, too, because, as you mentioned, like, Vince isn't the supervillain yet. He's not the Bond villain yet. So, JR is condemning these, these heinous actions of an employee hitting his boss, which I thought was really, really good. Like, we don't condone this behavior. How could you do that sort of stuff? Blah, 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 blah. But this, as you mentioned, this is a rather abrupt finish because it's almost a WCW-esque finish because it's just a weird end to the pay-per-view. Yeah, and then, so at that point, um, Jerry Briscoe talks to Howard Finkel to make the announcement and Finkel says, Austin's been DQ'd for hitting a WWF official. Dude, love is the winner. Obviously, it's not a title change, but that's not where the pay-per-view ends. Yeah, they end on a weird note because, like we've said, Vince McMahon, He's in the early stages here. He's taken one chair shot, but that's enough to kill him at this mm. point of his run. They stretcher him out and get real serious. Like they start using their serious voices, like something has really gone wrong. It's really gone, yeah. They replay they t- the chair shot and say, oh, you know, did Austin mean to do it? It's kind of interesting though, because it creates that, oh no, how much trouble is Austin going to be in for yeah. hitting him with a chair? And you're right too. You were talking about the storytelling. This perfectly sets up Raw the next night because after you watch that end of that pay per view, which, as we mentioned, is is just, it fizzles out, but there's a reason for it to fizzle out. Yeah. Well, it, it at least leaves you with a cliffhanger. Unlike mm. WCW fizzling out with just the NWO running in, this one left it at least with the question: you know, Austin is he going to be stripped of the title? What happened to Vince McMahon? So. Yeah, sets it up nicely. And you know what? I know we don't really care about his ratings and we usually disagree anyway, but I wanted to see what this was rated at the time by Dave Meltzer as a match, just out of curiosity, because we kind of know what the stereotype is is of what matches he likes. Yeah. So we think this was rated four stars. So even Didn't expect that. Yeah, even for its time. I think this was so fresh and original and exciting that you could you can't debate that this isn't a good match you know yeah. in in any way just entertainment or for wrestling logic or whatever but yeah check it it's out also a, it is also like it's literally the dawn of a new era because it's yeah. mankind it's mick foley and stone cold steve austin main eventing a pay for you as well yeah and, so, and if you think oh steve austin all he did was punch and kick that's crap you're missing the point yeah um, all in all, like like we like we sort of mentioned at the start, this isn't the most perfect pay per view, but I think you'll find that there was a lot of misses in the Attitude Era in terms of match quality. But the most important thing that WWE does in this era is leave you satisfied at the end. Like you're always going, no matter how bad the undercut is or how nothing the undercut is, there is at least one or two main events or a mid card match that keeps your interest. So you don't tune out towards the main event. And then there's a match that always gets you hyped for the main event and the main event always delivers. Yeah. And I think the last hour of this show, so the double main event, absolutely worth watching. Austin and Foley and Kane and The Undertaker, really, really good. Can't mm. argue that. Yeah. Yeah. And and you, you even like you forget all of a sudden by the end of watching this, it was only when I we got to the part in my notes where I realized like, Oh, well, that's right. There was a, there was a rock there was a rock and roll express match on this pay-per-view because all the badness has been washed away by uh, these last couple of matches. But um, all in all, uh, we normally do our MVP who are you going to, I've got a fairly controversial MVP 
for um for this pay per view. And I don't, I'm, I don't know. I'm, who's, I'm, your, who's your pick? Go for it. My pick, Jr. and King. <laughs> you know what? I almost can't argue that. A lot of my notes were saying how great they were, or a great quote here and there. They carried the bad matches, and then the two main events. They were on another level, and I think really solidified here why we love them. I won't argue with that for this show. As great as yeah. those last two matches were, they were made even better by King and JR. Yeah, the commentary was just perfect, and it shows, and it just goes to show too, like that stupidity of like um, the argument when they talk about Rock versus Hogan, how it's just like, oh, watch that on mute and see if it holds up. No, you need the full experience. <laughs> Like Watch you need Batman the full experience. without the soundtrack and tell me how good it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very, very silly. But yeah, we've got a very exciting couple of months for the WWF. It'll be interesting to see what WCW has to answer with that one. We're going to look at Spring Stampede 1998 next on Reliving the Wall. We'll get our buddy Owen on board as well to check that one out. But all in all, like I said, the good outweighs the bad in this pay-per-view. And I think that's a theme for... Uh, Attitude Era pay-per-views moving forward. Absolutely. And I can't wait for the next one over the edge because we get Dude Love versus Austin again. And I'm pretty sure the match is even better and even sillier. So I'm excited. If I recall correctly, that one's a false count anywhere match. Is that the one? <laughs> I think the rules keep changing during the match. I think it's <laughs> one of those right. real, real shenanigans pushed to the limit. I think I think that's the one where like like in, in intervals Vince comes out there like oh I, didn't I mention it's a hardcore match yeah this match yeah. is no dig yeah, yeah. Uh, we, this is really gonna start to feel like we've got to eat our vegetables to get to the dessert now with WCW <laughs> shows like oh Spring Stampede I don't want to watch that but anyway I'm sure we'll get some fun things in there. Yeah, we'll, we'll, um, it should be interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, that is coming up in the next edition of Reliving the War. If you want to catch up on our previous episodes, you can do so by heading to greywolfentertainment.net or checking out the socials, greywolfent on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I've been Nibs Azor for Simon Tackler. This has been Reliving the War, and we'll catch you next time. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.